We've been going through the, um, the parables here for a number of weeks, and uh, we have two more weeks in the parables, and then we start in on our Easter messages already. So um, Easter is not that far away. It's early this year, uh, March 31st. <clears throat> so uh, we will be getting into that. Last week, we looked at the parable of the sower and the seed from Matthew 13. We talked about how that uh, represents four different types of hearts. Uh, it's also referred to as the parable of the four soils. And today we're going to look at another well-known uh, parable, the parable of the talents from Matthew chapter 25. And if we had to boil this parable down into one word, it would be the word accountability. This necessarily isn't probably going to get me a pat on the back here today, this sermon, but the fact of the matter is, is that we are accountable to God. And that is what this parable is all about, that God has entrusted every one of us with a number of things as we're going to look at here. He's put m many things into our hands and we are accountable to him and we will stand before him one day, the Christian at the judgment seat of Christ, also known as the Bema Seat. The great white throne judgment is for the unsaved. We'll make mention of that here in a minute. But we as Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as was just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And that's a place where we will receive rewards, where God will actually reward us. I can't think of a, re a reward that would be greater than heaven itself, but he's going to reward us on top of that. And he's going to give us responsibilities in heaven dependent on our faithfulness down here. So we need to be cognizant of the fact that we are accountable to God and that we will stand before him one day. And that's really what this parable is all about here. So look with me in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, verses 14 through 30 is the parable of the talents. Um, we're going to begin by looking at verses 14 through 18. Our first of two points today is that we have all received an abundance. Every one of us has received abundantly from the Lord. So look with me here in verses 14 through 18 of Matthew 25. Jesus says, Again, it will be like a man, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin today. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that you will instruct us through the word of God today, Lord, that you would encourage us through your word. Thank you, Father, that you're going to actually reward us uh, when we get to glory for the work that we have done in your name. Um, we can only do what you give us the grace to do, Lord. So all of this is by grace. We're saved by grace. We serve you by grace. We'll be rewarded by grace. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We just pray you'd uh, uh, encourage us and um, 
Lord, uh, help your word to be rightly divided today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you see this master is going away on a journey, and he's calling his servants to him, and he uh, gives them different amounts of money to manage in his absence. The first servant receives five talents, the second receives two, and the third receives one. And the master is expecting that when he returns from this journey, that the servants will have done something with what he has entrusted to them, put that money to work, and multiplied the money. And so we see here um, the cast of character. Let's take a look at what they represent, these individuals here. Because we've been talking about how the um, parables, that they are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And so everyone represents something. First of all, the master going on a journey represents our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given to all men generously. He has gone on a journey. Where is he? He's up there, right? He's seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father. But guess what? He is coming again soon. We don't know when he is coming. He's coming to rapture us, to take us to be with him. It is imminent, meaning it could happen at any time. And it will happen before the tribulation begins. That's why we're told to wait and to watch. Because we don't know when it's going to occur. We have to be watchful or we will miss it. Those of us who have not put our faith in Jesus, that is, will miss it. So we're to be waiting We're to be watching for his return. He has gone away, but he is coming again for his people. So the master represents the Lord Jesus. The first two servants represent believers that have used wisely that which the Lord has entrusted them with. They're both commended. The first servant is commended. The second servant is commended. They have been given these gifts by their master. They put them to work. And they multiplied the gifts. However, the third servant, he represents unbelievers that have squandered what God has given to them. As we will see here, he takes that talent, he digs a hole, and puts it in there. He does nothing with what God has given him. That is the unsaved man and the unsaved woman who has been given so much from God, and yet they have not used it for God's glory and God's honor. And so that's our, <clears throat> excuse me, that's our cast of characters today. Now, we want to talk about what a talent is, um, uh, biblically speaking, because it's different from how we use the word talent, although our word for talent comes from this parable. But in the parable, the talent was not a coin. It's not like a, a denarius or a mite. It was actually a unit of currency equivalent to around 75 pounds, In the parable, the talents were comprised of silver. We see that in the Greek for verse 18. That word for money actually refers to silver. So you could have a talent of of gold, which would be worth more, but they they received talents made of silver. The talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. Now, you remember the denarius equaled one day's wages. So a typical day laborer, at the end of the day, he would would receive his wages. It was one denarius. A talent is equal to 6,000 denarii, or 20 years of wages for a laborer working six days a week. So let's break this down then. Therefore, the third servant received the equivalent of 20 years' worth of wages. 
The second servant received the equivalent of 40 years worth of wages. And the first servant received the equivalent of 100 years worth of wages. Now, what if you went to work on Monday and your employer gave you the equivalent of 100 years worth of wages? That'd be pretty good. Early retirement, right? What is the point here? The point is God is a generous giver. He is not skimpy in his giving. And by the way, if we want to manage money the way God manages things, we are to be generous as well because he is generous. He is a generous giver. The gifts that he gives, he gives abundantly. He gives generously. And that's the point here. The master gave to these men huge sums of money here that they were to manage in his absence. Just like God has given every single one of us much. He has put a lot into our hands. Every person sitting here today, you have received abundantly from God. But here's the thing. You have received what you have received, not for your own good, but for the good of others. To invest it in the lives of others and to invest it in the kingdom of God. So let's take a look here at what these talents represent. They do not only represent money. They do represent that. But not only that, the talents represent all that God has entrusted to our care. Now, there's different ways to break this down, no doubt. Here's how I'm breaking this down. He has entrusted to us time. He has entrusted to us talent, as in abilities now. He has entrusted to us treasure. He has given us responsibilities. And he has given us opportunities. The talents represent these things, time, talent, treasure, responsibility, and opportunity. He has put all of these things into your hand, and he expects you to act wisely with what he has entrusted you with. So that's what we want to do. We want to make the most of what God has given to us. So let's break each of these things down here. We want to make the most of the things He has given us. First of all, He has given us time. We have all received time. Some have received more time than others, but we have all been given time. And you know the saying that time is the one thing you can't get back, right? I feel like there's other things you can't get back either, but they always say that about time. It's the one thing you can't get back. Now, Moses wrote this in Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom realizes something about life, that it is brief. A heart of wisdom understands that our lives are but a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. You don't see vapor for very long, do you? It's there and then it's gone. And the older you are, the more you realize just how much life really is like a vapor. Amen? You look back and you say, I, I've never met anyone who's looked back and said, you know what, my, I, you know, my life was just really, really long. It just took a really long time to get here. Like whenever you talk to someone, they always say, it, it's even quicker than, than they said it was going to be. And that's so true, isn't it? How fast the years go by. And some people assume they have a lot of time and they don't. But here's the thing about time is that our time, our days are in God's hands. He has numbered our days. There is a set time that we have received, and when he calls our name, we will go to be with him. And so we need to use our time wisely. Now, in Ecclesiastes, I put that one in there. That's an interesting verse that is a little bit counterintuitive 
when you first read it. That's written, of course, by King Solomon. And let me just summarize what he says in Ecclesiastes 7.2. It's better to go to a funeral than a party. Now let me, let me see a, a show of hands. How many people would rather go to a funeral than a party? Don't raise your hand because you're weird. <laughs> no one would rather go to a funeral than a... Why would he say it's better to go to a funeral than a party? Because going to a funeral is a reminder of the brevity of life. It is a reminder that we don't have unlimited time this side of eternity. And it causes us, it should cause us to number our days aright and to invest our time wisely. Have you been wasting time? We all do it, right? But listen, let's try not to waste time. Let's try to use it for the purposes that God has given it, to invest in the lives of others and to honor and glorify God. Let's try to use our time wisely. We will, be given a, we will give an account of how we have used that, but also talent. We will give an account of what we have done with the talents and abilities and spiritual gifts God has given to us. Now listen to what Paul said in Romans 12, 11. He said, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I won't ask for a show of hands with this one. How's your zeal today? Are you lacking in zeal for the Lord? The Bible, the Bible says right there we should never be lacking in zeal. We should never be anything less than fervent for the things of God. So if you're lacking in that today, what do you need to do to get the fire going for Jesus again? Who do you need to be around? What Bible study do you need to to, get, to be a part of? What do you need to do in terms of your quiet time in the Word? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, we really need to distinguish between talents slash abilities and spiritual gifts, all right? So a talent or an ability is something you receive at birth. A spiritual gift is something you receive at the new birth. A talent or ability you receive when you're born, a spiritual gift you receive when you're born again. So every human on earth has talents, has abilities, but not everybody has spiritual gifts. Only Christians, only born-again believers have spiritual gifts because they have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So you have been given at least one spiritual gift, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Read through that list there. By the way, if you want to look through the list of uh, spiritual gifts, they're found in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. So 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4 are the places you will find the, the, gifts, the gifts listed. So figure out what your gift is if you don't know. You're required to do that, to figure out what your gift or gifts might be. You have at least one. In addition to spiritual gifts, Christian, you also have talents and abilities, those things that you received at birth. All of those things together, your talents and abilities, your spiritual gifts, the Lord has given those to you in order to bless others. The Lord has given those to you to use in His kingdom. The thing about spiritual gifts in particular is that they are never given for my own edification. I might be edified in using it, but it's not given for me. It is always given for others. So the gifts and the abilities you have, the spiritual gifts you have, the Lord has given those to you 
that you would invest them in the lives of others, that you would use them to bless others, that you would use them for God's honor and glory. Does that make sense? He put that in your hands, not for you, but that you would turn around and then bless others through it. That's the purpose of the things that he gives us. And one day we will have to stand before him and give an account of how we used the abilities and the spiritual gifts that he entrusted us with. So time and talent, but also treasure. We're going to be held accountable for what we have done with money and, and, and the material things that God has put in our hands as well. Now listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The Apostle Paul again, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. When you give sparingly, you receive sparingly. Now, there is an aspect of, of this that applies to this life here. Some people don't have because they don't give. But on the other hand, some people have because they give. Have you noticed that? That the more you give out, the more God puts in your hands to keep giving out. He, he'll, he'll keep putting it in your hands if you keep giving it out. He wants you to be like him, a giver. So there's an aspect of this that, that is applied here, but really in heaven is where it, this will most fully apply. Those who gave sparingly down here will receive sparingly. Those who gave generously down here will receive generously. And so we should be generous givers. And we should be obedient with our finances. And this is where we talk for a minute here about tithing and the importance of tithing. I don't think there's any excuse for any Christian not tithing. I don't understand what the excuse would be for that. Um, we've done that, Michelle and I, our entire marriage. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying we've done that the whole time we've been married. And there's been some seasons where, you know, there wasn't a lot coming in. There was one season there was nothing coming in. It's easy to tithe when there's nothing coming in. But, but being obedient means I'm trusting in God. And you know what I'm doing? I'm taking this amount. And I am honoring him with it. I'm taking it right off the top. The Bible says honor him with the first fruits of your increase. Not your crumbs and your leftovers, Christian. The first fruits. Why is that important? Because you are acknowledging that everything you have comes from God. And you understand that, right? You understand that you're going to leave the world with the same, the same materially speaking, that you came in. And what did you come in with? That's what you're going out with. So really, actually, none of it's yours. It's all been given to you on loan by God. And he will require an accounting one day for how you managed his money in his absence. And so that really needs to be our mindset. That's a biblical mindset. How am I managing the money he has put into my hands? And here's the thing about it. This is the only area in the Bible God says, test me in this. We're, we're told not to test the Lord. Don't test him. Yet there is one exception. It's the area of giving. And he said it to Israel. He said, test me in this. I'll open up the floodgates of heaven. I'll give you all you need. You test me in this area of giving, Israel. And the same thing goes for us as well. So we will be held accountable for how we manage the resources put in our hands, materially speaking. We will also be held accountable for the responsibilities that God has given to us. And um, there are many. Let's just break them down, just a few areas here. But we have a responsibility, first of all, to our families. We have responsibility to our jobs and schooling. 
and we have a responsibility to the unsaved. I'll just talk about those each just for a minute here. First of all, we have responsibilities to our family. Husbands have a responsibility to their wives. First of all, to love them selflessly as Jesus Christ loves the church. That is your responsibility, husband, that you will be held accountable for. To love her the same way Jesus loves you and loves all of us. That's a challenge. God will help you. God will give you grace to do that. But that is what we're called to do, a selfless love. So you just think about how Jesus loves you, husband. That's how you're to love your wife. All right? We have responsibilities there, Ephesians 5. The wives have responsibilities to their husbands to submit to their leadership, to follow them as the head of the home. I don't care if this isn't popular preaching. It's the truth. Wives are to submit to their husbands and to trust them and to respect them and to respect their lead in the home. So you're not going to be held responsible for what he does, but you're going to be held responsible for what you do. And your responsibility is to come alongside him and encourage him and to help him become the man of God that the Lord would have him to be. There's responsibilities there, but there's also responsibilities that we as parents have toward our kids. And that responsibility is to do what? Is to train them up in the way they should go, right? To train them up in the word. This responsibility is for the the father and for the mother, but who takes the lead? Biblically speaking, the father does. Ephesians 6, read that, 1 through 4. The father, first and foremost, is responsible for the training of the children in the word. Mom comes alongside and helps. Mom is certainly a part of this. Mom has responsibility as well, but it is the father's primary role in the home to train his kids up in the Lord. But you do it together. You're a team working together. And then we have responsibilities, 1 Timothy 5, to extended family. Responsibilities to the generations that have gone before us, uh, who we have been blessed by and nurtured by. We have responsibilities to parents and to grandparents as well. But we also have responsibilities to our jobs and our schooling. And this is interesting to me. You know, God's going to reward you for the work you do on the job, that he's every bit as concerned with the work you do Monday to Friday as he, as he is with what you do here at church. You, you realize that, right? That when you are on the job, you are serving him. How many full-time missionaries do we have in here? Oh, that's sad. Every, every hand should have gone up. Listen, you're a missionary on the job. That is your mission field. God wants to use you there. And the work you do is a reflection of who you are in Christ. That's why you don't tell people I'm a Christian and then you're lazy on the job. The best witness on the job is to do your job with excellence to the best of your ability. And if you need an example, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel was that guy. And because of it, he was lifted up. He was exalted by the king. It makes a very simple statement about him. You You couldn't buy him off. He wasn't subject to bribes. He didn't cut corners on the job. He did his job well, and he was trustworthy with the work he did. And that's why the king exalted him to second in command, because he, he did his job the right way. God's going to reward you for the job you do when you do it as unto the Lord. You should be encouraged by that. God is a giver of good gifts, and he will give you good gifts as well for the, the work you do in his name. And also I put schooling on there. And then I also put Colossians 3.17 because that says whatever you do, do it under the Lord, right? Whatever you do. But we also have to realize we have a responsibility to the unsaved. And this is an interesting verse here, Romans 1.14. The apostle Paul, 
And the word he uses, what he says there is he says he is in debt. He's a debtor. That's the word he uses to the unsaved. Have you ever thought about it that way? That you are actually in debt to the unbeliever? The unbeliever doesn't owe us anything. We owe them. They're not indebted to us. We're indebted to them because we have the truth and they don't. We know the Savior and they don't. We have the pearl of great price and they don't. The debt is not them to us, it's us to them. We are indebted to every unbeliever until the day he comes to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so that should be our heart. Now listen, you can't force people to get saved. You know, I'm not saying that. But we have a responsibility to the unsaved people in our lives to pray for them, to share Christ with them as we have opportunity to do. Don't do it on your job when you're supposed to be working. Do it on your lunch break. But we have a responsibility there that's been placed into our hands, and so we need to be faithful. So God's given us responsibilities that we will be accountable for. And then finally, God has given us opportunity. He's put opportunities in your path. Every person has opportunities. They've been given by God. Now, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, here's what it says. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity. And so opportunities may come your way. The Lord may present you with an opportunity that is heaven sent. He, he, he may place this in your path. And the question is, will you make the most of it? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're like Peter. We stay in the boat because it's more comfortable in the boat. It's boring as all get out in the boat. But boy, it's familiar and I know what to expect. Jesus is telling me to get out of the boat and walk on water. I heard him say, come, but I'd rather stay over here in the boat, Jesus. Listen, we have a responsibility to step out and walk by faith when the Lord is calling us. You may be presented with an opportunity from God, but it's going to require faith. It's going to require you to get out of that boat when you hear him say, come. Now, Peter didn't just jump out. He waited until Jesus said, come. Then he got out. This isn't just risk-taking. This is walking by faith. You may receive that call. My question is, what are you going to do with that opportunity? You're going to make the most of that opportunity, as we're told to do here? I've been, I read this book here. I uh, just finished it up a few days ago. Actually, I read it in the past, but I went back and read it again. You want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat, is the name of the, the book. And it's by a guy named John Ortberg. And I love just the end, what he says here about opportunity. Listen, from this point on, for the rest of your life, he says, every time you walk on the water, each time you trust God and seek to discern and obey his calling on your life, your God will get bigger. And your worship will grow deeper, richer, and stronger. That's because Jesus is not finished yet. He is still looking for people who will dare to trust him. He is still looking for people who will refuse to allow fear to have the final word. He's still looking for people who refuse to be deterred by failure. He is still passing by. And this is your one and only opportunity to answer his call. This is your chance of a lifetime. It is time to do something religious. Just remember one thing. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. And that's how he ends his book. It's a really good book. If you want to borrow it, I've got it. You can, you can have it. But listen, God's going to present us with opportunities. They're going to require faith. 
And that's where we have to step out. We want to make the most of those opportunities because we don't want to stand before him one day and he says, I sent the helicopter. Why didn't you get on board the helicopter? Why didn't you step out of the boat? I had it all planned. I had it all figured out. But you stayed in the boat. You stayed in your comfort zone. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear him say, well done. I know you were afraid, but you trusted me. Your eyes were on me. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear him say. So listen, I told you I wasn't going to get a pat on the back for this sermon today. And, and based on your response, I'm right. We've been given opportunities, right? We've been given all of these things. They've been placed in our hands. We want to make the most of what God has given to us. And God has given to every one of us abundantly. That's our first point. And finally, our second point. We've all received an abundance. We will all be held accountable. Now, there's an accounting that takes place. The master has gone away. But the master is going to return, right? He is coming back. And that's when the accounting will take place. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought five others. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. It is my belief that those words are the only words worth living for. That is the only thing worth living for is to hear him say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the motivation. He says, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Or as the King James says, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Sometimes the King James is much more poetic. Notice what he says there, though. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Listen, we're not going to be sitting around in heaven doing nothing. I don't know where that idea of sitting on the cloud playing the harp came from. It's not from the Bible. The guy that was, was faithful with what God had given to him, what, what does he say here to that guy? I'm going to put you in charge of many things. If you're faithful down here with what he has given you to do, when you get up there, he's going to put you in charge of even more things. You say, what am I going to be doing? I have no idea. But you're going to be doing something because we were created to work. Work was a blessing. We go back to Genesis. It was a blessing until the fall when it became difficult. We're not going to be doing nothing in heaven. We're going to be serving the king. And so the one who was faithful down here was rewarded up there. I'll put you in charge of many things. Verse 22. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Notice he was every bit as happy with that guy as the other guy, right? The one guy earned five the other guy earned two. He's every bit as happy with the guy that earned two as he is with the guy that earned five. Why? Because the guy that earned two took what he had and he used it wisely. And he doubled it. They both doubled what they got. They both used what they had been given by God. Listen, it doesn't matter what other people have been given, what talents, abilities they have. God's not going to judge you based on what Billy Graham accomplished. Why didn't you accomplish what Billy Graham did? He's been given much. He will be required. God will require much of him. 
He's given you what he's given you and me what he's given me, and he only holds us accountable for what he has put into our hands. We don't worry about what other people are doing or not doing. We just worry about taking what God has given us and using that for his honor and glory. So there's no comparison going on. Why don't you do like him? He was every bit as pleased with this man. Verse 24, then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said. Now look at his viewpoint of God. The unbeliever has a strange viewpoint on God. He doesn't understand the nature and the character of God. I knew that you are a hard man. Wow. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. You're no good, is what he's saying to the master. You take things that don't belong to you. Now, does that sound like the master? The master gave him a lot, didn't he? 20 years worth of wages? He doesn't understand how good the master is. He has a bad viewpoint of the master. Verse 25, so I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is, here is what belongs to you. Listen, I didn't want to lose it because, you know, I, I thought you'd, you know, be mad at me or whatever. So all I did is I went out and I buried it in the ground. I did nothing with what you gave me. But, but, but I have it. I didn't lose it. Here it is. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. That's not really how he is, but he's saying, if that's what you thought of me, verse 27, well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You could have at least put it in the bank and I could have had a little interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. He gets more responsibility. He's given the responsibility that the other one had. Verse 29, For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. Verse 30, And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That describes the horrors of hell. Verse 30 right there. There will be anguish, weeping. There will be gnashing of teeth, agony. And there will be complete isolation and darkness in that place. That's why he represents the unsaved man. He is cast out into darkness. He squandered the things that God put in his charge. Now, as we begin winding down here, this verse, we read it a moment ago uh, this verse we need to be familiar with, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All right? This is different from the great white throne judgment. I'm actually going to talk a little bit about that next week. The unbeliever stands before the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. The Christian stands before the judgment seat of Christ after we are raptured. After we go up, our bodies are transformed, we stand before the Bema seat. It's also referred to as the Bema seat. Now, in the biblical world, uh, they had this chair, and it would, be, it would be lifted up. It was on a, on a, a platform, and it was known as the Bema and the judges at athletic competitions, they would sit on the, the we, we call it the Bema, they, they would sit on the Bema seat. And they would, over, they would watch the athletic games going on, such as the Isthmian games, that was one of them, uh, kind of like the Olympics. They would watch what was going on, make sure everybody followed the rules. 
Then, when the competition was over, the winner would stand before the judge who was seated on the Bema seat. He would stand before the judge to receive his reward. And his reward would be a crown, a laurel wreath crown, a perishable crown. He would receive that. Uh, Likewise, we will receive crowns for our faithfulness to the Lord. There's five different crowns mentioned in the scriptures. We will stand before him at the judgment seat and we will be rewarded. We will not be judged for our sin. Sin is done away with. Sin is taken care of. Jesus paid the penalty once and for all. We're not going to be judged for our sin. You understand that, right? That's the great white throne judgment. That's a judgment for sin. Our sin is taken care of. Even when we sin down here, it doesn't change our standing up there. You are in Christ in heaven. Even when you sin here, you are still in Christ in heaven. Now, we have to ask for forgiveness down here because it interrupts our fellowship with God. But even when we sin, it doesn't change our standing in heaven. It is in Christ. So the issue of sin for the Christian is done. We will not be judged for our sin at the judgment seat of Christ. We will be rewarded for our faithfulness. So he's going to reward you for the things that you did. He's he's going to give you an eternal reward. He's going to give you a responsibility, many responsibilities in result of your faithfulness down here. We're not earning salvation. That's not what this is about. Jesus earned our salvation, but this is a reward after salvation. And so we will stand before him. Now, those things that were bad, those things we did with the wrong motives, those things we did because we wanted a pat on the back, those, are, those things will get burned up. We won't receive a reward for it. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But those things that we did out of a pure heart, we did for others, we did for God because we love God and we love others, he's going to reward us. He's going to settle the accounts and all the things that were done faithfully, God will reward you forever. And so really what this pictures is, what this pictures, this passage, is the judgment seat of Christ, the day we stand before him and he rewards us. So let's bring this all home now. What are you going to do with what God has entrusted you with? Listen, if you're a Christian, you're not that one who buried it in the sand. You're the first one or the second one there, right? You're not that guy. We didn't bury it in the sand. That's the unbeliever that represents, but we have the ability to kind of take some of those things and bury them. Some of the things he has given to us, we don't utilize them. We don't, we don't use them fully like we should. Where are you at today? What do you need to, to do to make sure that you are being faithful with the things God has gifted you with? What area of your life, whether it's time, talent, treasure, responsibility, or opportunity, what do you need to do to make sure you are being a faithful steward of what he has given to you. I want to close with this poem right here. This was written by my grandfather. It's called Hidden Talent. It says, The Lord gave him a talent, but no one was aware, for he kept it safely hidden and with others did not share. His life was so self-centered, he lived in a world of his own. He could have shared it with others, but he used it not to be known. He could have been a blessing, brought joy to many a heart, but no, he wouldn't bother, and with his talent, would not part. Do you possess a talent, be it large or small? Do you keep it safely hidden? Why not share it with us all? Someday you give an account of the talent you've been given. Try sharing it with others and make your life worth living. 
nothing more I can say than that right there. That pretty much hits the nail on the head. Let's go to the Lord as we close with a word of prayer. Listen, you see what the scriptures are saying here? You realize, if you didn't before, that you are going to be accountable for those things you've been entrusted with by God. That's not something to be afraid of. That's just a reality, but it's also an encouragement to us to take these wonderful things He has given to us and to use them in a way that He is glorified and other people are blessed. If you're here today, you have all of these things. You've been given these things by God. Listen, is there an area of your life that you maybe need to, you need a little correction in an area of your life that maybe you're not fully taking that talent and investing it wisely? Would you just take a minute and just commit yourself to the Lord? Whatever He has spoken to your heart today, that you would, you'd be faithful, that you would strive to be the person He's called you to be. Maybe it's time that you've squandered. Maybe you need to use your time a little more wisely. Or maybe it's your gifts and your abilities. You haven't really been using them in the kingdom. Would you, bless, would you bless the rest of us, as that poem said? Would you take what God has given you and use it as a blessing? Or maybe it's your treasure. You're just not using it in a way that, that is generous or responsibility or opportunity, whatever it might be. We are held accountable before God, but thank God He will deal with grace and He will reward us. So let me ask you, what do you need to commit yourself to the Lord right now? What area of your life needs to be brought under His sovereignty? Thank God that He will reward us and bless us one day. Dear Jesus, we just thank You for who You are and we thank You that uh, You have given us so much, blessed us with so much. Father, we just want to Use the abilities, the gifts you've given us, the things you've put in our hands in a way that honors you and glorifies you, Lord. We want to hear those words one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Father, help us to make the most of what you've entrusted us with. doesn't matter if it's five, two, or one. Help us to make the most of what you've put into our hands. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to pray with you. If there's anything on your heart you want to pray about, Let's do as the Lord leads now.